Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. This morning, uh, we're going to take a slight detour uh, out of Pastor Brian's um, uh, Acts series that he's been doing, which in case you haven't noticed, um, he's, he's not here this morning. Um, he is on a much-deserved and well-earned vacation, um, and we're just going to hold down the fort until he gets back, okay? We good with that? Can we all just make sure nothing happens at all for the next few hours, days, nothing at all? at all. No, nobody gets sick, nothing like that. Let's just smooth sail for a little bit. Let him go on his little smooth sail vacation and, and then any issues and problems and th- y'all can do that Saturday when he gets back. We good? That sound good? Great. Wonderful. Fantastic. I'm, I'm glad we're in agreement on that. So um, yeah, this morning we're going to actually jump into Romans and, uh, and we're going to look at something that has been just uh, near and dear to my heart. Um, and I think having an Annie Armstrong missions video before I got up here was just God kind of just poking a little more. Um, I, my, my heart is for missions. Um, I, uh, those of y'all that were here when I, when I was first coming and interviewing and going through all that and have had conversations with me, uh, I, I didn't grow up in church. I like, that's not something we did. Um, and so when... When Jesus got my heart, he got my heart. He just did. It wasn't something that I did. It wasn't something that I go to. It wasn't this whole church culture thing was new to me. It was weird to me. I was talking to uh, the youth, I don't know, two Wednesday nights ago. Maybe it was last Wednesday. I'm not really sure anymore. Um, but it used to kind of weird me out. You had the fire and brimstone preachers that I would hear every now and then because um, I would go with my grandmother every now and then to her church, and, and the guy would, he, he would yell, and he would mispronounce things on purpose, and, and he would sweat a lot, and then there were songs about blood, and like there was just all this weird church culture stuff, like what can wash away our sins, the blood of Jesus, like that's weird if you're an outsider, and so like all of this was weird to me, like it did not make sense to me. Um, and so when, when August 7, 2005 rolled around and I gave my life to Jesus, like I gave my life to Jesus. Like I went full in. Um, that's not to brag. That's because I realized how desperately that I needed him. And with my realization of how desperately I needed Jesus comes my realization that everybody desperately needs Jesus. The ones in my school, the ones where I work, the ones halfway across the world. Like that's, that's just what it comes down to. So, so missions to me isn't a week-long trip where you go and you come back and you have a really cool slideshow and, and you talk about how the people there changed me more than I changed them. Like that's great. That's cool. That's like a tiny little piece of what missions is. Um, And I think the reason why we have this like kind of weird, I don't know, like distance almost it seems like between us and missions um, is I think we've just made it something foreign when really it's the breath of the church. Like that's what missions is. Like if, if you are a Christian and you are a part of the body of Christ, then missions is what you do. That's what you do when you go to the restaurant for lunch here in a little bit. That's what you do when you go on these overseas trips that are a week long and you work with with people in places that make you realize your house actually isn't that bad. 
missions is is all of that. Like it's it's just the overflow. It's the out. It's it's the response of this love that we have for our Savior. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to talk about a bold love. And so uh, if you're able and willing and, and would like to, please stand uh, as we read Romans uh, chapter 8. Let me give you all a little bit of time. Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 39. And so it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you for these beautiful, beautiful verses that we got to read this morning. Thank you for the the vastness of your love, God. Thank you for your grace and for your mercy. Lord, we love you and we praise you and pray that you'll just be with us and and speak to us this morning. I pray these things in your name. Amen. So, y'all can have a seat. Again, guys, we're talking about a bold love this morning. And, And so... There's a lot there. There's, there's a, a lot we could talk about. I mean, honestly, as I was making my notes for this one and, and as I was trying to get it all nice and neat and organized and not so, um, well, ADHD and crazy and my sketches would terrify most of you, um, it makes perfect sense to me. But if I hand you my notes, it's not going to make sense to you. And that's fine. It works for me. My brain makes it all connect. And you're going to put me in a hospital. Um, but it's fine. Um, but so as I was cleaning all this up and I was looking at it, I was like, man, this could be a whole series. Like we could just spend like a month, two months, I don't know, a year on just this passage here because there's so much. But we're not going to do that. I'm going to get you guys out of here. We're going to have time to go to go eat lunch. Like I, I got, I got, we got grandparents here visiting. And, and so we're, we're, we're going to go and, and we're going to. Uh, we're going to have lunch. We're going to do all that. But for a few minutes this morning, I just want to talk about a bold love. And so just jumping straight into this, guys, God's love defends us. And I could stop right there, walk off stage. That would be enough. That single statement, like, like, I think we hear this all the time in church. And so we, I think we hear it so much that we forget what we're saying here. God In the beginning, God created, like that God, the one that breathed life into all things, the one that just said, "Mm, I want there to be a galaxy, and there's a galaxy, the one that picked up what he made and formed it into a human and said, hey, you know, let's hang out, and and like, I want to be your God, and you be my people, like that God defends us, like defends us for the wrongs that we commit against him, like that. I could stop right there. Like, that's enough. The God that created the whole universe defends us. But so, 
we're looking here at Romans, what, what Paul was writing, and I think it's important to just remind ourselves that Paul was, Paul was definitely not Peter. Paul was definitely not the, the fisherman that Jesus called out of the boat. Paul was well-trained, knowledgeable, super smart, top of the tier. Like, he's, he's the guy, right? And so when Paul is talking about this, uh, Paul talks about uh, the courtroom or judgment or trials and stuff like that a lot. And, and, and he, he understands how that actually works. Like, he gets it. He gets the system. And so when, when, when Paul talks about God defending us, I mean, he, he, he means what he says, and he says what he means, and there's, there's no pulled punches there. Um, so, so let's just jump into this with three truths for all Christians. So there are three things that uh, I believe Paul would stand here and nod if I said these things. Um, and, and I believe that uh, Paul would agree because I think Jesus would agree. So here's three truths uh, for all of us. Number one, guys, we will be accused. No, no way around that. We will be accused. Um, in Revelation 12.10, it's kind of a long verse. I'm going to give you the, the ending there. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before God. So here's the thing. Did anybody go to school with a tattletale? Like there was a kid in your class that just told every single thing. Some of you were like, no, there was nobody like that because you were that kid. Um, but the rest of us are like, yeah, and you're naming names. Like, you know, because that person got you in trouble in kindergarten. And some of you, it kept going and you got in trouble in the rest of your life like I did, and it's fine. Um, my favorite was the one that would tell the teacher they forgot to take up the homework. How that kid survived school, I will never understand because um, the, the death glares that people like me who didn't do the homework would just give me. Anyway, guys, look, we get accused of stuff. It happens. My favorite is, where did you put the remote? That was always a good one. Um, anybody has siblings? Like, you know that turns into I trust nobody. Stand up. Let me see. You're sitting on it. You're sitting on it. Where, where's, my, where's my phone became the big one. Um, that's always a fun one in a sixth grade classroom at the end of the school day when something goes missing. Those kids would be like, open your backpack up. I want to see everything. Like dump it. I, like they're like fixing to start doing like, like pat downs and everything. Like they want to find it. Like, okay. We all get accused of stuff. We've all been there. It's no fun. You get defensive. You get mad. But here's the deal. You're going to be accused. Period. You're going to be reminded of the things that you did wrong. You're going to have those thoughts, you're going to have those memories, you're going to have those reminders, you're going to have that, that little voice that just nags at you all the time and says, you, you have no business singing these songs, praying to God, you have no business trying to be a Christian, remember what you've done. Remember who you were, remember what you did, remember what you said, remember what you didn't do. Like, that, that's going to always be there. We are going to always be accused. Why, why, why would the accuser not do that? I mean, that's, that's a brilliant tool that he has in his arsenal, just to live in the back of our head and just remind us, like, oh, you're having a good day? Remember that embarrassing thing you did when you were 12? Get you off the rails. Or you start actually, you know, reading your Bible and praying and, and, you're, and you're, you're committing and you're, you're, you're moving along and you begin to feel that, that closeness to God that you're supposed to. What's the, the easiest thing to do? Reminds you of that really dumb thing you did when you were 15 years old that sin that eats at you, that guilt that you have, that, that thing that you wish nobody would ever know about, like that's what's going to get thrown at you. We're going to get accused of that. 
But more than just the internal accusation, there's also the fact that it is very much biblical that Satan is going to accuse us before God. God, how can you allow this person to enter heaven? Remember what they did and have a full transcript of all of our transgressions. And just be like, look, hey, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this, remember this. There's going to be a whole lot of those for some of us. We're going to be accused. That's a, that's a given. You're going to deal with it. You're going to look in the mirror and be reminded of it. You're going to stand before God. And there's going to be the accuser, like a little yappy tattletale. Remember when he, remember when she, it's going to be there. Truth two, the accusation is going to be accurate. It's true. You did do that thing. You did say that. You, you did act on that, that, that temptation. You, you did exactly what you're being accused of. And I think that's where a lot of us kind of get stuck. Is we know we know what we're being accused of and we know that the accusation is true and we can't move past that. Praise God, we're not God. Josh, I think I'm losing control of my slides here, so I think you're going to have to start keeping up with me. Sorry, buddy. I was trying to give, everybody else is getting a day off. I was trying to give Josh a day off on the slides, but my iPad's being a little funky now, so um, we're going to have to just kind of roll with it here. But So number one, we will be accused. Number two, uh, we are guilty. It's just true. The accusation's true. We're guilty. That's, that's gospel 101. It's like the first part of the whole Romans road evangelistic tool is, is Romans 3.23, for all have sinned. All of us, we're guilty. So here's the deal. This is where we're kind of stuck. It, you, you're going to have accusations that say, uh, hey, remember this time that you messed up? And, and hey, God, remember this time that he messed up? And then you're going to look at the accusation and you can't deny it. You can't, oh, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. And you know you did. It's true. It's, it's there. So there's this accusation. The, the fact is that you are guilty. But praise God, there's a third one here. Praise God, we will not be condemned. Now, I'll be very clear when I say we. When I say we, I mean those that have been bought and paid for and trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not those that read their Bible. Not those that went to church. Not those that just exist. I'm talking people who give their life to Jesus. They will get to stand before God and go, yes, that accusation is true. Yes, I am guilty, but I'm not condemned because of what Jesus has done. And that's the only ground we can stand on. It's not, it's not, yeah, I did that, but, but look at all the other stuff I did to make up for it. No, it doesn't matter. We stand on one thing and one thing only, and that is the blood and the resurrection of Jesus. But man, that is a firm foundation. There's a quote in a book that I was reading, looking at, at some stuff for this. It says, no one can successfully condemn us because Christ has died for us. And it's this really simple summary statement, but it's not simple at all. It is, it is, it is so mind-blowing to me. I can't be condemned because of what Jesus has done. I can't. I should, but I can't. Because Jesus conquered it. 
See, that's, that's, why, that's why I love missions. That's why I feel like missions is just the overflow because I have this, this, this life-changing secret. I, I know this thing that I didn't know when I was 15. Jesus covers it. Whatever it is, whatever haunts your dreams, whatever you, you don't like when you look in the mirror, whatever, whatever you think about when you're driving by yourself and you're kind of having a little bit of a good day and then it just takes you off the rails, whatever that thing is, whatever that one that you don't want to talk about, that you don't want to come back to, whatever that sin is or those sins, whatever that thing is, Jesus covers it. I didn't know that. And now that I do, like, how can I sit on that? Like, how, how can I just, like, put that in my pocket and be like, okay, well, Jesus covers sin. Let me just, let me just hold on to that one safely. Like, no, like, that's, that is, that is mind-blowing, life-changing, life-altering thing. God defends us. God, come to earth in flesh in the name of Jesus, dies for my sins, is resurrected, and then defends me stands before the holy God and says, not him. He's covered. He's clean. He's mine. <laughs> what? Like how, how can we not get excited about that? How can that not change everything? That Jesus, the one who died because of my sin, stands before God and says, it's covered. It's paid for. It's done. The only person holding on to my sin is me. It's my own inability to let go and forgive myself. God's forgiven me. I serve a God who forgave my sins August the 7th, 2005 at about 8 p.m. Central Time in Troy First Baptist Church in Tennessee. I was at a random Sunday night youth service, and, and I really, I actually wasn't paying that much attention. I really just was, my, my head was in other places, and, and I, I'd been going through this really long journey between me and Jesus, and I was fighting and running, and I'm really good at kind of fitting the whole Genesis Jacob namesake that I have going on. Thanks, Mom. Um, I appreciate being named after the deceiver of the Bible. It's cool. Um, and not Satan, but Jacob. It's great. Um, but... I came down front, and my youth pastor's standing there, and I like went to start speaking. He goes, I know, go pray. And I'm like, well, aren't you going to pray with me? Nope. And so I just fall on my face, and I'm praying to, to this Jesus guy that I had been mocking and making fun of and running from, and, and I give my life to Jesus. And August the 7th, 2005, at about 8 p.m. Central Time in Troy, Tennessee, somewhere about right here in, in that room, my sins were forgiven, covered. It's over. Jesus stands in my defense. The, the, the one that cannot be conquered stands in my defense. How dare I allow the enemy to have control over my thoughts and mind now? Like How, how, how dare I allow him to, to tear me down when Jesus says it's covered? I got it. But two, God's love secures us. As, as if him defending us wasn't enough. There's, there's a security here. God's love secures us. And so uh, I kind of had like this like Jeopardy thing in my head. Um, it, but so like 
I love Jeopardy. I'm I'm a, I'm a nerd. I, I love it. I haven't watched it since uh, Trebek passed because it just doesn't feel like Jeopardy anymore. Like I just I don't know. I just can't. It's probably good, but I don't know. I just I like trivia. I I, I kind of like the fact that Jeopardy's backwards. But I just I love how Paul kind of how he does this. Paul asks the question, "What can separate us from love of Jesus?" And he just goes, "Nothing." Just like immediate, it's like Paul's shortest sentence ever, because Paul, he almost writes in run-on sentences, but it works, it's cool. Um, but he's just like, what can separate us from love of Jesus? Nothing. Just like really hard sword cut, slice through, there's nothing left to do, nothing. There's no but, there's no comma, there's no colon or semicolon or other things that English teachers made up to make us confused. It doesn't exist. Nothing. Nothing. What can separate me from the love of Jesus? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But, but he goes on. And so he, he, the way Paul talks about this is he, he, he begins to list off all those things. I'm not going to make you read through all that again. But, but Paul lists off all this stuff. And you look at it and you're like, man, he's just, he's just listing things. No, he's not. He's listing things he's experienced. Paul speaks from experience. In this dude's life, he went from being like well-trained, well-loved in the, in the Jewish elite circle. Like dude is going to be way up there when here pretty soon. He's, he's got a great life, okay? Like he's, he is doing well. Jesus calls him, and Paul's like, okay, I follow Jesus now. And that turns into him being beaten, him being stoned, him being put in jail multiple times, him being lied about, him being beaten some more, him being put on a boat, and the boat gets shipwrecked, and then he gets bit by a snake, and, then, and it just goes on and on and on and on. And like Paul's life, from, from a, a non-Christian perspective, is terrible after Jesus. Like, if you look at Paul's life before Jesus from an American point of view, from a, from a success standpoint, from an earthly standpoint, Paul's life was successful and then a failure post-Jesus. Like, there's nothing that we would hope for. Like, nothing that happens to Paul in the second half of his life is something that I pray nightly about for my, like, my girls to experience, right? Like, I don't pray like, God, I pray that tomorrow my girl will be beaten for you. Like, I don't pray that. Paul is speaking from his experiences. I have been beaten, starved, tortured, questioned. I've been falsely accused. I've been rightfully accused. I've been put in prison. Eventually, I get bit by a snake. Like, all these terrible things. And he says, what can separate us from the love of Jesus? Nothing. He's not saying Nothing should. He's saying nothing does. Because once you've experienced the love of Jesus, there's nothing like it. Because if Paul asks the question, what can separate us from the religion of our childhood? There's a lot of things. What can separate us from the religion of our family? A lot of things. What can separate us from the stuff that we do? A lot of stuff. What can separate us from the love of Jesus? Nothing. Because once you've tasted of that, once you've seen the beauty of God through Jesus, once you've experienced that love, which no love comes close to, nothing is going to make it over that. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Jesus is greater. 
He is greater than your suffering. He is greater than your circumstance. He is greater than your trial. He is greater than, than the beating you're taking, however that beating is coming across, whether that's emotionally or mentally or financially or in your health or, or whatever your beating is. Or, or maybe, maybe you're in a part of the world where, where that beating is an actual physical getting beaten for your faith kind of beating. Paul said it doesn't matter. He goes on to say, well, I, could, I could list off some of the things. I, I, I will one of them. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty five. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. I'm going to keep reading. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, though many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Some of you are thinking, he's only on point two. We're going to go without food at lunchtime. Paul's like, I've gone days without it. And then Paul also says, Romans eight eighteen. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. He doesn't say, I look at it and God's love wins. He says, no, it's not even worth comparing. That's stupid. Sorry if stupid is not a good word in your household. I apologize. We spell it in my own. But I know there's littles in here today. But that's, that's the bluntness with which Paul is speaking here. That's, a, that's, that's, not, even a, that's not even worth comparing. Are you kidding me? See, and I think this is where we get stuck because I think, I think there's a lot of people, I'm not saying necessarily here, but I think there's a lot of people who go to church and have never actually experienced the love of Jesus, the transforming love of Jesus that makes us stand in the middle of a trial and say, Jesus, your love is still more than this. And if you haven't experienced it, then it's foreign and it's weird and it doesn't make sense. And you're right. Your trial is bad. Your trial is way worse than anything you've ever experienced. Because unless you've experienced Jesus, your trial's going to win. But once you have actually experienced Jesus, once you have tasted of the goodness of the Savior, once you have, have been restored back to God, nothing comes close. Nothing. See, the, the, the real punishment of the garden... And it I, I took me a long time to see this. I got so fixated on like, you know, there, there's sin in the garden and, and God like speaks to the snake and to Eve and to Adam and he's like handing out things. And I got stuck on the whole like work is going to hurt now part. I'm like, thanks, Adam. Blisters and calluses and bad backs and bad knees and headaches and all that. Like, thanks, guys. Way to, way to make life go from awesome to awful. I got so fixated on that that I missed the, the worst part of all of this is, is Adam and Eve had constant 24-7 direct access to God, who we are created to desperately need. Like we have to have him. We are, we are designed and created to not function well without him. And our sin separates us from him. And so from Cain and Abel all the way through, we have been created and living without the God that we desperately need. What salvation does is say, hey, guess what? 
you're back. You get him. Now, we won't get to fully experience him until heaven. But you know what I don't have to do? I don't have to go through Monday morning without God. I don't have to go through family loss and family struggles and financial worries and my job without God. I don't have to breathe without God because I've experienced him and he's mine and I am his and we belong together again. We have been restored. That's what salvation is. And when you have tasted that, when you have seen that, when you've gotten that earthly glimpse of God that we get here, nothing, there's nothing going to waver that. That's what Paul's saying. Your trials are real. These beatings are real and they're awful. But they are nothing compared to how good God is. How kind and how merciful, how comforting the peace that he brings us. So God's love defends us. God's love secures us. But then God's love emboldens us. God's love, God's bold love to say, look, I know the sins that you've committed and I love you anyway. That's a bold love by itself. But it is catchy. It, it just fuels fire. It's what it does. And so when, when God's love falls on a person, that, that, that fire then just gets fueled through them. It's just that that's that's everybody in the Bible who came to Jesus. What did they do? They told everybody else about Jesus because it's catchy, because it's life changing, because it's life altering. Because it 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 I can't sit on this. My family we're we're Cubs fans, and I know I get booed for that, and that's fine. Congratulations, Atlanta. You won a World Series and you didn't sell your whole team. Congratulations. I can't say the same thing. Anyway, if the Cubs win 50 games this season, it's going to be a miracle. We're a horrible roster this year. So I was looking. I've never, ever, ever, ever financially gambled a day in my life. Please do not think like, oh, are you Pastor Gambles? No. I was curious and I looked at what the betting odds are for the Cubs to win the World Series this year, because we're, we're trash. We're, if Baltimore might lose more than we do, but they barely even have baseball in Baltimore. Preseason odds are 10,000 to one for the Cubs to win the World Series. 10,000. So I texted my dad and my brother this, and I said, hey, I know we don't gamble, but if we were ever gonna take a little bit of money and put it on the Cubs just in case. I think this is the year. Because I know, like, these, like, that payout would be ridiculous. My dad's like, name three pitchers. I was like, okay, you went. You, yeah, you're right. We got nothing. We're, we're awful. Um, so I'm not going to do that. But, but here's the thing. If I knew, if somehow I knew, Marty McFly, I went to the future and came back, back to the future, I don't know, whatever. If, if I'm sitting on this and I know... Somehow, miraculously, by the end of this season, the Cubs are going to win the World Series. With this garbage roster they have for opening day, somehow they're going to win the World Series. Why would I not make that bet? Because gambling in the Bible, I know. Remove gambling from the Bible just for a second. If I knew that the Cubs were going to win the World Series, 
with those crazy odds, I'd be a fool to not bet on that and tell my dad and tell anybody I loved, hey, look, I know the government's taking all of our money. Let's beat it. Let, let's just, let's everybody go bet on the Cubs with these crazy odds, which I know will mess up the odds, but that's not my point right now. Like, let's just everybody bet on the Cubs because I love you and I want you to reap the benefits of this thing that I know. Like, that's the logical thing to do. You have a for sure winner, you tell your friends and family, tell who you care about. And I know that Jesus covers over my sins. Like, I know that. I've experienced that. I know that my sins are forgiven. And I know that Jesus stands on my behalf and says, not him, he's mine, he's covered. And I don't tell people. And I, I don't sing it from the, from the mountains and the rooftops and tell everybody that I possibly can. Like, that's... Something's disconnected there. Either I'm a horrible person or I don't believe what I'm saying. It's one of the two. Either I don't actually care about these people or I don't really believe the gospel. Because if I believe this gospel and I've experienced this gospel and I know the power of this gospel and I love these people, guess what they need to hear? This gospel. Well, I don't want to hurt their feelings. Yes, I do. Because the gospel hurts our feelings for a little bit. And then Jesus heals it. That's the most beautiful thing in the world. Guys, we love boldly. We love boldly because we feel guilty or obligated. No, 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 no. No, we love boldly because we're confident in the work of Christ. See, we don't, we don't love boldly because, well, if I don't, I'm going to get in trouble or God's going to get mad at me. If I, if I, if I don't, well, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, you know it's kind of that, that, you know, you said you were going to do it, but you didn't do it. And you kind of feel bad about it, but you go to sleep anyway. Like, no, 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 no. Like, we, we, don't, we don't love people. We don't share the gospel because we feel bad if we don't. We love people and we share the gospel because we've experienced the love of God and we believe in the love of God and we've experienced the work of Christ and we believe in it and we're confident in it and we know that he said he's going to do X, Y, and Z. He, he said it and I believe him. So guess what? I'm going to go do what he said. And I'm confident that he's going to do what he said. Because what Jesus says is, is, I have begun a good work in you, and I'm going to perfect it. I'm going to complete it. I'm going to keep working on you. He said that I am the giver of life. I, I am the water. I am the vine. I am the bread. I am all these I am statements. So we could go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. Because Jesus said all kinds of I am statements. And they're all true. And if I believe they're all true, then I need to live as if they're all true. If I believe that Jesus is going to stand before God and say he is forgiven then I need to make sure that everybody that I care about and even the ones that I don't care about knows that. I need to make sure that everybody knows about this Jesus that I'm this confident in. Because either I'm wrong and all of this is some made-up fairy tale or I'm living my life wrong by not sharing the gospel, not loving boldly. We don't live in Christ because we feel guilty 
or nervous or whatever. We, we live in Christ because we know that he wins. We know that he's the winner. We know the outcome. We know the final result. We know that all will stand. So what are we doing to make sure that as many of those all are on our side, have heard the gospel, that they know their sins are forgiven the way that I know my sins are forgiven? What are, what are, what are we doing about that? And I'm not saying this from a place of perfection. I fail at this. We all fail at this. And, and the beauty of the gospel is we are not supposed to be perfect. But man, we should be trying. If we're not trying, we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we trying? What's missing? Is, is, is my fear greater than the gospel? Or is my understanding of the gospel just not sufficient? We must live boldly by loving boldly. And I'm going to end with this, and I want to clarify and just make sure that, that I speak correctly here. Bold doesn't have to be loud. Bold doesn't have to be great speeches and I'm a super knowledgeable pastoral professor and I know all the theology. That's not what that is. Peter didn't know half of that stuff. That's why I got in trouble all the time. Paul did know it and that was an advantage for him, but that's not the point. The, the point is we, we are to, to live boldly, to love boldly. And what does it look like? That looks like being humble. That looks like being patient. And um, I, I struggle there. You can ask my family, not right now. Because um, that's just awkward. Patience is not a strong point of mine. My mama is in the room, and I've never been a patient person, I don't think. I, I'm pretty sure it's, it's just not been a, not a strong point of mine. I'm still not patient now. Yesterday, Addie Ray had her uh, little family birthday party over in the fellowship hall, and she got a bicycle. Her first bicycle. You're welcome. Um, and her learning to pedal a bicycle. It took a few minutes to get to the yays, okay? Uh, at first, it was a lot more, I can't do this, and me being like, yes, you can. Um, patience. I'm working on that one. Not my best point. We were at Disney. You know what I can't stand is slow walkers. What I really can't stand are people that are walking slower than me pushing a stroller. Just saying. <laughs> I have awoken the beast over here. Um, <clears throat> it's being humble. It's being patient. It's being kind. It's being generous. It's being helpful. There's a quote a pastor friend of mine shared the other day. He said, we must live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provides questions for which the gospel is the answer. That's what living and loving boldly is. That you live in a way, when somebody looks at you, they start asking questions. Why are you like that? Why are you the way that you are? That's my salvation story. That's where it all began. 
was my best friend living different and me asking questions? Why, why are you doing that? Why, why are you different? Why, why don't you say the things that we say? Why don't you do what we do? Why, why are you all of a sudden being nice, sir? Like, what's going on? Like, I don't get it. And me asking questions led to the rest of my journey to Jesus. Living boldly is not standing on the street corner with a megaphone and a sign saying, turn or burn, that's not what we're talking about. Living boldly is just living in a way that when you walk in the room, people are like, something's different. I want to know what it is. Because in a world full of negative and a world full of hurting, they're at peace. When they walk into a room, peace comes with them. Kindness comes with them. Humility comes with them. Generosity comes with them. And I want to know why they're like that. And then you got one simple answer. Jesus. Oh, that's that's a garbage answer. No, it's not. And then you can start talking about your story. It's a really simple answer. Jesus. It's not 700-page theology books. It's one simple answer, Jesus. And then you start talking about how Jesus has impacted your life. You live boldly, humble, patient, kind, generous, helpful, on and on and on and on and on. They begin to ask the questions. They begin to look at you and go, why? How? How, how, can, you, how can you still be so positive and peaceful and encouraged and everything around you is crumbling? Jesus. Jesus is greater. He's greater than my sufferings. I want to pray for us as the worship team comes up. And uh, guys, uh, I pray that you just just know that the God of the universe, his love defends you, it secures you, but it is your strength. You don't have to be strong. That's the whole point is you admit your weaknesses and say, I'm weak, but God, you're, you're my strength. You are my boldness. And just live in that. Lean into that and trust in that. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this love. Thank you for this mercy that you have shown us, God. Thank you that that you do defend us. God, I'm so thankful that, that I know you stand before the throne. Jesus defending me. Jesus defending Jacob and, and all of his flaws and all of his sins and all of his mistakes. And you stand before the throne and you say he is mine. Father, I pray that this morning anybody who has not experienced that would just trust in you, that they would give their heart, give their soul, give their life, give control over to you. I pray for those of us that do know that, that have tasted of the goodness of you, Father, that we would live in a way that proves it, that we would live in a way so that as we walk into a room, people notice something's different. God, I pray for those opportunities where people ask questions and that we give them the simplest answer. Jesus, it's you. Lord, we just love you so much. And we just, just thank you for meeting here and gathering with us. And I pray that, that you'll just continue to work on their hearts this morning. I pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.